0: For a lot of folks who look at the liturgy that we're saying as we beat our chest, who say this liturgical stuff, this organized religion's not for me, and they see in this really I have sinned by my speech, and they don't see anything in it. So we do slander and we do use our speech in a way in which we do not consider it sinful. Yet the liturgy is calling us to see it a different way. In the Torah, it says, "If you motzei shemra, if you say something negative about somebody, then you would get spots in the wilderness, right? You'd get mitsora. It's a little bit like there's this mysterious magical illness in the Torah, and it's sort of like its English name would be sland Her, and you'd be like, that sounds a lot like slander. So I think that maybe that had to do with slander. The rabbis put it together." and they viewed it as a gift. They said it was like the mana. It's like what Pinocchio had. Wouldn't it be amazing if when you did something wrong, your nose grew a couple of inches and then went back? So like, wouldn't it be great if you got some spots, and then you, know, you went to the mikveh, and it was all better? So like, you would know when you were doing something wrong. And we don't have that anymore, the rabbis say. You do it unwittingly, and you don't know what's wrong. My first after, I think it was my first Friday night, There was an email that was sent to the president. said that you have hired a rabbi who doesn't even prepare for services. He couldn't even get the page numbers right. Because on my first Friday night, I was handed a a seat I'd never seen before. I didn't know you used it. You didn't do it on my my audition weekend. And uh, I was trying to find these pages after many, many pages of English readings. The president forwarded the email to me. And said, so it begins. (laughs) When we talk about standing before God as a community, individuals, but we are judged collectively, I think we're talking about that God looks down upon societies and sees them as a culture. What is that culture like? It's like looking at a human body. Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? Are the organs getting their oxygen? Are they not? And I feel like in a community, when we do Kol Nidre and we say we have done wrong, as Heschel said, a few may have done bad things, but all of us are responsible. You may think, I mean, people have said to me since, you may think you're making me a better rabbi. We just, maybe if we just patronize you enough, <laughs> you will understand that our criticisms are deeply knowledgeable and wise. And we will make you better. You know, it says in Masachet that one should not give constructive criticism unless it has been invited. Because it has the opposite effect. People are naturally defensive. In fact, they said, Rabbi Akiva was the least defensive rabbi of his generation, and if you gave him constructive criticism, he couldn't take it. I wonder if some clue comes from the book Tribal Leadership by Dave Logan, John King, and Haley Fisher Wright. It's a book that affected me a lot as I seek to be a good team leader in my organization. It's a book by corporate um, consultants. And they say that they basically see four levels of the way a culture operates anywhere as a tribe. Level, lowest level is everyone's like, it's pretty lousy to go to work, and it's pretty lousy to work here. So as soon as the boss leaves, let's like make an agreement to punch out early and not to tell. It's like, you know, it's no fun to go to work. Let's get it done and move on. One level above that is it may not be fun for you But if you are truly talented, and you're like me, the cream rises to the top. It's like car dealerships. They post who sold the most. If you didn't sell so well and you're not getting your bonus, well, you're not working hard enough. But look at me. The next level above that is everything is we. It's like we are going to be the greatest synagogue in Michigan. No, no, no. We're going to be the greatest conservative synagogue in the country. We're going to be like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get there? Let's run down the hill and let's bring everything we got. And let's... how are we going to do that? And then the highest level is we don't have to be the best one. All we have to do is fulfill our mission. If our existence does something to change the world to the mission of what we set it as, of Judaism, of holiness, who doesn't want to come into work? According to tribal leadership, universities tend to be level two. They tend to be places where it's more Darwinian, where those who are truly talented are raised up and others are made to feel inferior. When I shared some of my reflections with um, a faculty member here, a member of the synagogue, about some of the ways I get treated, some of the things emails that get sent my way and some things people say to me, I said, Nadav, I think it's a lot like a tenure process. Like in the tenure process, we tell you everything you're doing wrong. And we like write emails to each other where we critique you like movie critics. At the end of the day, we say, "Eh, you're lucky we chose you. My question, my advice in the change of culture is that in any relationship you have, professionally and otherwise, we don't have a lot of control in this world, and we don't have a lot of power. We don't have a ton of freedom. But what we do have the freedom to do is to try to decide what kind of relationship we want to have with the people around us. I remember when Morav's general physician in California turned us down for an ophthalmologist referral. He was under tremendous pressure not to make such referrals in the Kaiser system, and Lynn was convinced that Morav had an eye issue. I thought it was normal because it says on the internet, don't worry about these things. That's the only thing on the internet it says not to worry about. Everything, we're supposed to, everything else we're supposed to be terrified of. So I said, can I just talk to you sort of man-to-man, person-to-person, father-to-father? My wife really thinks there's something wrong, and I believe you. You're an expert. It's likely nothing. But I'm asking you, I want to have a relationship with you of not complaining and this and that. Would you just do this for me? I know it hurts your record of your numbers. He said, Rabbi, I'd be happy to. When we waited in a room for one of the few pediatric ophthalmologists in that medical system in California, she was probably where Sally's standing. It was all the way across the big room. And she looked over at my daughter, and she said, thank God you came in not a moment too soon. My general physician wrote me an apology you rarely get. And I thanked him for that apology, and then we started trading books. He was an evangelical Christian, and I'm sort of like an evangelical Christian, just a little different. <laughs> we started trading Bible books. I think of my contractor, whom many of you share. We had mold in our wall, and we ripped it out. We needed a contractor to do that. You can't have mold sitting around. Well, he finished. A lot of the tiles don't quite line up. The faucets are a little crooked. Some other things, like the shower leaks a bit. I looked at my wife. I said, do we call him back yet again and ask him to fix that? And my wonderful wife said, no. You know, I talked to him once, Nadav, when you weren't here. He's a veteran of the Iraq War. We send these, he was, and he was young. We send these young men into war for no justification. I had a close friend who was a weapons inspector in Iraq, and he knew there was nothing there. He told me. He has done his best for us. And I'm happy to live with the result. I think of my kids' teachers at the day school and elsewhere. Something goes wrong on the playground. Something goes wrong otherwise. We don't think that uh, she knows her vowels or something like that. Do you call the teacher and say, I expect better? Let me tell you, I'm an expert in my field. So I want to tell you about your field. <laughs> Sometimes I think there should be a t-shirt in Ann Arbor that says, you should, you, you should hear my opinion about your area of expertise. <laughs> I So you say, you know what? My wife has a degree in education. We know you should handle this differently. We know That is not the relationship I want to have with my children's teachers. For my contractor, it's not the relationship I want with Ed is to tell him the shower leaks a little bit. I can get a silicone can and figure it out, right? right? Don't tell Ed. He's going to feel terrible, by the way. It's not the relationship I want with my physician. Every, the little bit of freedom we have in this world is to decide what kind of relationship we want to have with people in our lives. And I hope as your rabbi you want to have a certain kind of relationship with me. And if it wants to be a relationship that, says, po- that sends poison emails or says the rabbi needs to be supervised or let me tell the rabbi how he should give a sermon, then what I ask you is simply this. Do what others have done who have not been pleased with me. And that is, come and talk to me and tell me. One of my favorite people in the congregation came after Yom Kippur last year and said, you gave, you cannot give any more Yom Kippur sermons like you just gave. It was the wrong one for me. It was too long. It used too many examples. I couldn't stand it. And I need you to know about me, so let me tell you about my life. And so now I got to know her. And I apologized. I said, you know, now I know you. Now I know you why that was the wrong sermon for you. And that does make me better. It makes me better, when because she said to me, I don't want to have this relationship with you, of having this resentment. I want to get to know you. I want to tell you what I'm like, who I am, and what I need. I apologized. I told her I would try to do better. And I was grateful that I'd made a new friend. And on her way out of the office, she gave me a singular moment of graciousness I will never forget in my life. She turned to me and she said, there's something I need to tell you. This is after 45 minutes. She's on her way out. I did ask the people near me what they thought of your sermon. They said they thought it was the best sermon they ever heard. Thank God for her. She came to me. I mean, I didn't need that, but it showed me she wanted to have a relationship with me. I, and and she was, maybe she made that last part up. If so, I highly recommend that to all of your future communications. <laughs> I wrote in the email I sent after I took the position, I view this as covenantal. I view the fact that I moved my family here and I'm starting a new life in the, hopefully in my prime years here that I am all in. I have no desire to be the most on the top 20 rabbis in the, some list somewhere. I have no desire to make the news. I have no desire to publish a book. My only desire is to love you. I want to do my best to serve you, The greatest professional satisfaction I get is if this is the most wonderful synagogue in the country, and if it is a shining light of conservative Judaism that only those who know by word of mouth get the secret about. If I can accomplish that, then I feel like I've been a good partner. And what I ask of you is to approach it with the same trust. I referred this to one member who was criticizing me, who said, you know, I think you think you're doing much better than you're doing. <laughs> and I said, did you read that email I sent out about like, the covenantal stuff and the one power we have in life is to choose what changes you? I chose Ann Arbor. I chose Beth Israel. You chose me. And they said, oh, yeah, I thought that was rather grand. You're an employee, and we pay you. The rabbis say that the words we say are arrows, and we do not know where they land or what lasting damage they will do. In fact, the very word for sin when we're beating our chest is missing the bullseye with our arrows. We're better than this. I am inspired by the Holocaust survivor, Dr. Edith Eva Egar in her book, The Choice. She tells the story and then has a simple message. When I got to Auschwitz, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll say she. When she got to Auschwitz, Dr. Mengele was doing the selections. Her mother was sent to one line, and he told her, don't follow your mother. She's just going to take a shower. And then a nasty woman grabbed her and said, ha, ha, ha. You see that smoke coming out of that chimney? That's your mother. She was in a line with her sister. Her sister had been rather vain. They were both stripped naked. Their heads were shaved. And as Mengele examined them walking through their lines, she turned to her sister, Edith, and she said, how do I look? Edith answered, you have such beautiful eyes. I never saw them because they were always hidden behind your hair. She tells us we have a choice in life. What are the words that come out of our mouth? Do we choose love? Do we know how to lift people up? She says never say anything unkind, even if you're thinking it. Never say the words yes, but. Because... A compliment followed by a criticism is no compliment at all. She says, let's let out what's inside you. Write that book and do not doubt yourself. What makes us sick is what we keep inside. And life is a choice. As her mother said to her as they boarded the cattle car, they can't take what's inside you. Make a choice about what that is. So I ask you in the coming year, what can you do to try to make a better relationship or a good relationship with me? Most of you are already doing it. If I am irritating you, tell me your story. Tell me who you are. Let's be in a relationship. Risk a little. The person who was most upset that we started having music on Friday night terrified me because he showed up at our first musical Friday night. I ran up to him and I told him to get out as soon as possible. He wasn't going to like what was coming next. He said, I'm going to risk a little. I want to see what it's like. I said, you walk out at any time, okay? You just know that. He stayed to the end. He said, it was interesting. I'm asking you to give a little. I think our culture has a little bit of ashamnu in it, but I think you're pretty beautiful. I'm happy we're married. I hope it continues. I don't like it when you send emails saying my mother will send you recipes for how to cook my meals for me, but I'm happy if you tell me what you like. Give a little to the rabbi's fun so I can have little things like free meals on Friday nights for families and all of us to get together for Shabbos or for other initiatives like amazing child programming I hope to institute on Saturday mornings of Krav Maga and dance and movement and all kinds of things that are going to be happening. I'm so grateful to those who sponsored Friday night um, musical Shabbats this past year. Thank you for giving. Feel free to give a little bit more so that I can try to plant seeds in the culture. Be patient with me. I'm just getting started. Come to Shulmore. Prepare to be disappointed. <laughs> Say hi to people you don't know. I remember on LB's first Saturday, she was in the vestibule, and I went back to see how she was doing. And she was saying to people in her normal Lisa Beth way, she was like, hello, hey, Shabbat Shalom. Welcome to Beth Israel. I watched as someone turned to her and said, you're welcoming me? I was bought misfit here. She's like, OK, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I, that was great. It's just my first day here. <laughs> it's going to feel a little strange. Be nice to the people in name badges. I know it's weird. I know it feels like you're on an airline or something. But it's vital for the way we change our culture. We know each other's names. We wear name tags. And people are greeting you. Say hi to people you don't know. Call. Don't write. Give me a chance to find your lane. Michelle Israel came to all the Rosh Hashanah services, and she came up to me, and she nudged me, and she said, I know what you're doing. I said, you do? Because I have no idea. (laughs) She said, you're jumping from lane to lane to lane for each of the different lanes that people are in. Give me a chance to find your lane. Please give me second chances and give every leader and staff person here the benefit of the doubt until you've walked in their shoes. If we're doing anything with the Asham news, with the wearing of white, we're trying to find purity within us and spreading it. It's that I have a feeling you were raised the way I was. Your learning doesn't make you better. Your degree doesn't make you better than anybody else. If you have gifts, use them. But I'm no better than my friend dying of AIDS back before they had the cocktail who was essentially homeless. I'm no better than my contractor. I am no better than any of you and I know it. And I don't want to live a life in which the relationships I'm in have a above and a below. If you have any relationship in your life that needs fixing, you're allowed to go up to that person and say, I know we've had a certain kind of relationship up to now, sister. I know we've had a certain kind of relationship up to now this year, wife, husband. I know we've had a certain amount kind of relationship this past year, teenager. I know we've had a certain kind of relationship with, this year, boss. And you're allowed to say, that is not the kind of relationship I want to be having with you. And you can hope that they meet you halfway. From the Jewish writer, Natalia Ginsburg, yesterday was the anniversary of her death. We are adult because of that brief moment when one day it fell out to our lot to live, when we had looked at the things of this world as if for the last time, when we had renounced our possession of them and returned them to the will of God. That's Yom Kippur. And suddenly the things of the world appeared to us in their just place beneath the sky, and human beings too, and we who looked at them from the just place that is given to us. Human beings, objects, memories, everything appeared to us in its just place beneath the heavens. And in that brief moment, we found a point of equilibrium for our wavering life. And it seemed to us that we could always rediscover that secret moment of insight and find there the words for our vocation, the words for our neighbor, that we could look at our neighbor with a gaze that would always be just and free, not the timid or the contemptuous gaze of someone who, whenever they're with someone else, always needs to know, am I above them or am I below them? All our life, we've only known how to be masters and servants. But in that secret moment of ours, in our moment of perfect equilibrium, we have realized that there's no real authority or servitude on this earth. And so it is on this day that we turn to that secret moment when we looked at others to see whether they have lived through an identical moment or whether they haven't yet, because that's the thing we need to know. It's the highest moment in the life of a human being, and it's necessary that we stand with others whose eyes are fixed on the highest moment of their destiny. We believe that we can always return to that secret moment of ours, that we can draw on the right words, but it isn't true that we can always go back there. Often we pretend to, but our tshuva, our return, is false. We make our eyes glow with a false light. We pretend to be caring and warm towards someone in our life when, in fact, we are once more hunched up in the icy darkness of our heart. Human relationships have to be rediscovered and reinvented every day. We have to remember constantly that every kind of meeting with another human being is a human action, and so it is always evil or good, true or deceitful, a kindness or a sin.